I got caught in a speed trap a couple nights ago in rural Texas. It was a 70 mile an hour speed limit as you go up a hill and right when you get to the top of the hill with no warning it dropped to 40 mile per hour. And a cop pulled me over and I was busted. I wasn't going to complain or say anything because I knew he had me. I was going 60 in a 70 because I'm a really slow driver and I got down to 50 in the 40. But uh, when he pulled me over, He's a really nice guy, real super nice police officer, and he kept smiling at me and staring at me. It was making me a little bit uncomfortable because I didn't know what he was getting at. But uh, he asked for my driver's license, and when I handed it to him, he looked at it. He says, are you the Otis Gibbs that does the show? And I said, uh, thanks for giving a damn. And he said, yeah, that show. I said, yeah, that's me. And he said, man, me and my buddies are huge Ray Wiley Hubbard fans. And we found out about your show by Ray tweeting about it. And uh, we actually listened to your show when we're in the squad car making our rounds. And we kind of laughed and smiled and thought about what a small world it was for a little while. And finally, he decided he would let me go with just a warning. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to say if you're out there, I really appreciate it. It was nice to be, well, it was strange to be recognized in the middle of the night. Um, I appreciate you letting me off, and I'm intentionally not going to say the officer's name or where it was that I got pulled over because I don't want him to get in trouble. But I think we can all agree that Ray Wiley Hubbard works in mysterious ways. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. And this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Hayes Carl. Hayes is a singer and a songwriter who lives in Austin, Texas. And you can find out everything you need to know about Hayes at HayesCarl.com. The first time we had Hayes on, it was a a pretty popular episode. had a lot of great feedback, and uh, people still seem to go back and listen to that one. If you haven't heard it, look it up in the archive there. But uh, Hayes was in Nashville here recently, and uh, he came by the house hung out for a little while. Hayes is just one of those people that makes all of this a whole lot easier on me. I just set up some microphones and we sit there and talk for a little bit and he's just full of great stories. So I have so much stuff that he shared that I'm gonna cut it up and uh, spread it out over the next two weeks. Here's part two, Hayes Carl. (laughs) Yeah, I went silent, I I was... uh... Uh, it was a rough year. It was funny at the beginning of the year. I, st- I started going on uh, on sports radio shows, and uh, I was trying to parlay my small amount of musical notoriety into the sports world. And uh, it was, people were starting to bring me on as a guest, and I was predicting Super Bowl, uh, 
chances for the Texans and uh, was was being pretty uh, braggadocious about it. And, and uh, anyway, it, it did not pan out to say the least. Was it Houston radio that would bring you on? Uh, yeah, Houston and Austin. Uh, and uh, I've you know like I, I probably said this before, but I, I tried to parlay my um, uh, my 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 dream when I was a kid was to be just a big enough celebrity to have season tickets at the events. And, uh, um, I'm still working on that, but, uh, uh, so yeah, whenever, whenever the, the bloggers or the sportscasters or the radio hosts, uh, uh, give me a chance. I'm, I'm usually there with bells on to, to talk Houston sports. It'd be pretty fun because you could prognosticate. And then if, even if you miss it and you're bad, they can make fun of you for that. And there's humor and fun in that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, but yeah, I checked out entirely this year. Usually, I talk a lot of trash on Twitter and make bets with fans, and and uh, this year I was just uh, yeah, I, I ran and hid. I didn't have the heart to defend <laughs> my boys. What's some of the crazier bets you've made to fans? Oh, uh, it's usually just uh, uh, you know tickets for uh, versus. Um, you know, some barbecue or some beers or, or whatever. I, I I don't uh, I don't get too wrapped up in it because uh, you know I don't have that much to give. <laughs> I made a stupid bet years ago, and um, Notre Dame was number two in the nation in football, and Florida State was number one, and they were supposed to play. And I had a buddy of mine who kept telling me that Florida State was going to win, and he was talking so much trash. It ended up being money, then it ended up being a lot of money, and then money just finally wasn't enough. So the bet was if Notre Dame won, he would get Hank tattooed on his knuckles, and if Florida State won, I would get Ozzy tattooed on mine. <laughs> I'm looking at your knuckles. And <laughs> <laughs> Notre Dame upset him, and my buddy welched. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw something the other, the other night about these guys who have a fantasy football league in uh, – I don't know if you do any of that stuff, but uh, I've, I've had to retire. It's just kind of time-consuming, and I'm I'm almost forty, so I realize that maybe I don't need to be. I have enough fantasy going on. I don't need to <laughs> much sports, but uh, uh, but I used to be pretty into it. And and um, so I was watching these guys. Uh, one of, one of the problems with with fantasy football is is uh, you know some people stop taking it seriously, and you know usually put a little money in, ten bucks or fifty bucks or whatever, and the winners get get that but a lot a lot of times during the season people just check out because of life or their teams are terrible or whatever and uh these guys uh their solution to keeping everybody engaged was that whoever got last place uh in the league had to get a tattoo that was designed by the rest of the league <laughs> <laughs> and so so they had four guys on i think they're on the tonight show or something and, and they had four of these guys on and they each showed off their tattoos that 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 they had had to get, they were just the worst. I mean, you know, their friends had showed no mercy. And so one was a Justin Bieber profile, and these are like you know four by four inches. Uh, and it was a Justin Bieber with wings and like little hearts on it. And, and it was, it was my little kitty, and it was just all this stuff. Pretty funny. Yeah, I, uh, I've got a, a tour coming up with Bob Schneider. Uh, it's called, <laughs> you ready for this? The World's Greatest Living Songwriters of All Time Tour. 
<laughs> we, we decided to askew modesty. And uh, <laughs> um, so we're going to do, I think we got like 15 or 20 dates, uh, East Coast and West Coast mostly. And it uh, should be fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. He's, he's, a, he's a fascinating guy. I, I, I remember the first time I saw him, I uh, was down in Houston at a club. He was playing with the Scabs, or, or they were the Ugly Americans at that point. And it was kind of incredible. Uh, there, he had this, I don't know, 10-piece brass band. The club was packed, and the, everybody's wearing suits. Uh, then this guy comes out with a black hoodie on. You can't see his face. He just comes out, and the girls just start screaming and going nuts. Like, who is this guy? And then he just goes, my dick is so big. And everybody's like, blows up. And it's like, he's singing about his dick. And they love it. And it kind of is really cool, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, I don't know, 15 years ago. And, and uh, um, I didn't meet Bob for a long time. I did a, I, I remember one night where I behaved badly opening for him. Um, I had a show, I was living down in Crystal Beach, uh, Texas, and and uh, this guy David Cotton was the promoter of the Saxon Pub, and Bob Schneider had a, a Monday night residency there. He's had it for, I don't know, at least a decade. And and it was kind of a, a, you know, a big deal, and a lot of people came out to it every week. And uh, David Cotton called me and asked if I wanted to come and do the opener on the Monday nights for a month or something. And I was really excited. I didn't had never had any Austin gigs and this seemed like a pretty choice one. And, and I, so I remember I drove down, it was like, it's like five hours there. And I hired uh, Kim and Carol from the green cards uh, to be my band. And I went and played. And the first night we never had come up with any sort of financial agreement. And the first, the first night uh, I think they gave me 50 bucks or something, which I was, you know, I was fine. I was happy to have the gig. And I, I think I paid Kim and Carol 100 a piece or whatever and, and had to get a place to stay. So I lost money, but but it was good. But So then I drove back home five hours, came back the next week five hours, played the show, and uh, I said, uh, oh, can I settle up with you? And I remember the promoter was like, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, like you gave me 50 bucks last week. And he said, yeah, we didn't have that written down. I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we didn't have a contract. And I said, but you, you invited me here. I mean, you asked me to come. And I just drove five hours, and I'm spending 200 bucks a night on my band. And, and uh, anyway, he wasn't going to give in. And I got pissed, and I said, well, I still get free drinks, right? And he said, yeah. Said, All right. Let's get around for the house. <laughs> Patron, anybody? And and this meanwhile, Bob's taking the stage, and this is where he's starting to kick off. And and I just I go for it, you know. And I'm I'm making friends left and right. I'm just shooting <laughs> drink after drink to you know out of spite. I didn't I didn't even want to drink. I was just, but I'm gonna I'm going to show you the cost of not paying me my fifty dollars, <laughs> you know. So at a certain point. I'm blitzed and I just start wandering around the club and I'm like, oh, there's a guy on stage. And by this point, I have no idea even what's happening. And I, but I do remember walking like up to the stage and talking to the people in the front row and, and going, who's that? Look at him. 
And then I got I, I got obsessed with Bob's head. And I, I remember going, he has a huge head. And just shouting this out, <laughs> you know, from five feet away to the to the fans. Anyway, I, I, I pray that he doesn't remember that. Um, but uh, yeah, that was my first interaction with Bob. Sort of one-sided. We'll hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try and tell him before it comes out. <laughs> Yeah, doing the club crawl tour. It's 20 shows in 26 days. 21 shows, actually. Um, and uh, yeah, the idea behind it is I'm, 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 it's partial laziness and, and partially enjoying um, getting to play intimate venues. And the idea is we do five nights in one city and then move on to the next city. And, and I used this idea for my CD release for K-Mag Yo-Yo and so we thought we'd bring it back, but this time instead of the full band, it's it's a duo and trio shows. But I did five nights in Austin, and then five nights in Dallas Fort Worth, five nights in Houston area, surrounding area, and then five nights in Nashville. And uh, it's been great. But, uh, everything's sold out, and it's just been fun. Gotten to play some places I've never done before. Like I did the Bluebird last night, which was great. Um, and uh, so we'll do everything from clubs like the Bluebird and the Old Quarter. Uh, Green Hall and, and uh, Cavern. We're playing on Sunday, the Bluegrass Underground. It's been cool for me just to uh, do something different musically, and and also, you know, my I, I started out in small clubs, and and that's where my comfort is. I, you know, and not always listening rooms, but in having rooms that are contained enough where I feel like I can control the crowd and and feel what they're feeling and 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 um i i, I enjoy it. that's one of my favorite parts of singing is having that connection with people and sometimes you get in a big room and um uh, my crowd kind of grew before i was had grown as a performer um so i can sit around and talk when people are listening but i don't have the springsteen elements to my show and sometimes when you see a thousand People out there are, for me, I feel like I need to have that. And it kind of, it feels, I feel like a fish out of water sometimes uh, uh, trying to figure out what to do. Because I'm like, they can't possibly be here just to watch me hear my songs. (laughs) (laughs) There's something else. They want me to dance. They want me to dance. Uh, So anyway, it's it's been a lot of fun playing these kind of, these venues where you just, you feel a real connection every night. When if you're in the same town for five days, you actually get to hang out and see a little bit of the town for a change. Too. Totally, totally, and and um, and get rest and take care of yourself a little bit better and and catch up with friends and and uh, so yeah, you don't have to spend all day in the van um, and checking into hotels and you know have, being on the road is half your day is just travel and trying to get situated so you can pack up and do it again the next day and. It's nice to to not be on the constant move. Like my my commute is five minutes instead of five hours. I met Todd at uh, the Exit Inn. At, you remember Billy Block's deal? I was playing that, and Jack Ingram had called Todd, I guess, and told him to come check me out. I remember. I walked outside to have a cigarette, and and Todd was out there. He didn't have his shoes on, smoking a joint. 
and uh, started talking to me. And and uh, and I didn't know him. I wasn't that familiar. I just started listening to his stuff. And um, anyway, we had a chat, and I guess at some point soon after that, I got invited to do a a, a tour with him. 2005, I think, 2004, and uh, it was mostly the southeast, and we were out for a couple of weeks. Um, what I remember about that, one of the funnier things, I mean, Todd's such a character. He's just, he's, he's he, he truly fascinates me on many different levels, and, and uh, you know, first off, he's just one of my favorite songwriters, um, but sometimes I, you know, I, I realize he's, he's, he's got this whole world that I'm not always aware of, you know, I'm not sure what's happening and I feel like I'm a character and a part like, you know, and then I'm just, I don't, I'm not aware of it. Um, but I, I remember we did this tour and at some point I, I got the impression that he liked dogs or had a thing for dogs. So I remember at the end of the tour, I went and I bought this lamp. It was a flower pot lamp that was shaped like a dog like a ceramic dog flower pot lamp combo thing. It's very classy. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know, I was going to give him a gift. Uh, you know, usually when, I, when somebody takes me out on tour, I make a gift uh, to him. And, and so I bought this. I went and left it on his porch. Um, I think he was out of town here in East Nashville. And, and then left him a note and, was on my way and never heard anything about it and about a year later i started reading these interviews that he does he gives fascinating interviews just really funny performance art almost sometimes uh interviews and my name starts popping up in these these interviews it's not about my songwriting or who i am or touring or anything like that it's about my dog and how it's just not right what the government did to people, especially me and my dog. And, and there's first just like little one-off quotes, little lines. And I go, what is he talking about? And then the next interview, it would be more developed. And now it turns out the government had, you know, had kicked down my door and taken my dog. And then the next article, and this th I'm watching this thing build over a course of months, this whole story <laughs> that I don't even have a dog. I don't own a dog, right? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, people are like, so how about your new record, Todd? And he'll say, well, what I really want to talk about is the government and what they're doing with Hayes and his dog. It's just not right. <laughs> like, this is completely out of nowhere stuff. And uh, I've never gotten him to explain it to me. I mean, this, is, this was years ago. And uh, I th he just, I think somehow I triggered by this gift. I triggered this thing and he created this story and thought it would be fun and made this world and these events that happened. And and then wasn't content to just keep him to himself, like you know, put him put it out there, and in a weird way, it became real to where I, like um, now there's this thing that kind of happened, even though it never really happened. And, and I, I just find that fascinating that he has, has made this up, and and uh, um, so it's it's kind of colors all interactions with him when you when you know that you don't know anything, like <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> What you say or do, how it's going to manifest itself in, in the world. Did people walk up to you and say, I'm sorry to hear about your dog, Hayes? Yeah, there was a lot of confused conversations. Where, you okay, man? Yeah. 
Well, you know, Todd, we heard. Oh yeah, yeah, that was rough. Yeah, here there's another thing where uh, it was sort of uh, fabricated. I, I I was um I just finished a, a pretty long tour, and um, I'd done a songwriting workshop in the Targhee Bluegrass Festival <clears throat> in Wyoming about two weeks earlier, and then I wrapped up the tour on the West Coast with Todd actually uh, in Portland and Seattle, and then and then I flew to New Orleans and went on vacation with my. Uh, uh, my family, my parents, my brother, my wife and kid. And, and we drove down to uh, Seaside in Florida. And we were there on the first night. All of a sudden, my phone just blows up. And it's all my friends, my family. Um, uh, say, Are you okay, buddy? You know, I, I, we're praying for you. All this stuff. And it's like good friends, you know, Cor Blonde and John Evans, like guys who know me really well. And I can't figure out what's going on. And, and I, I finally get a hold of somebody. And... Uh, they say, well, we, I'm so glad you're okay. I heard you were in a mental institution. And I said, well, in Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> I like that little extra part. Not, not in Austin or something, it's in Wyoming. Because <laughs> that's where you go. And uh, I said, no, I have no idea. And, and, well, anyway, what happened was uh, I finally figured out that, that Mojo uh, Nixon uh, on, on Sirius just one day put out an announcement that I had checked myself into a mental institution in Wyoming. And he said it in, in sort of not the normal mojo, crazy, out of control, this is a joke way. He apparently had a really somber moment, which is what made everybody think it was real. He said, and friends, this goes out to Hayes, our good buddy Hayes Carl, who just uh, going through a rough time right now, and he just checked himself into a mental institution in Wyoming. And then he played one of my songs i think and uh, like a somber one and everybody was really concerned about me and uh, and uh, anyway it turned out to be the most press i got in like the last year and a half so i i had to i had to see the the good in it but uh, yeah i called i talked to mojo and he was like yeah i just was bored and uh i don't know why i did it i just it seemed like something to say <laughs> <laughs> it was we joke a lot around the house, Amy and I, that um, I need to get arrested on an airplane or going to rehab or something. Yeah. That's how you really get press. Yeah. I guess that's a testament to that. It was the power of social media and, and, and just media in general. And uh, I think about, I, I, I laugh all the time. I'm, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years and, and have not been always, you know, I, I think I'm a good uh, person in general, but I'm not always well behaved and, 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 uh, you know, there have been many times where I, I probably pushed things a little further than I needed to, and and and, um, but I but I've never been arrested uh, in all these years of doing this, and uh, we had a situation a couple years ago coming home from Canada uh, at the border. So we did this tour in Canada. We always go up to Canada in February and and do a a run because. They're all freezing and appreciate it when you come up, I guess. And that's what my agent tells me. And, um, now we'll, we'll go up there and do these tours. So we come in around Seattle and, and, and uh, Vancouver and, and then do like two or three weeks across and usually drop down in Winnipeg or from Toronto or something. And, um, and so we'd done this tour, played Winnipeg, and the next day we were going to drive all the way back to Austin. And we uh, 
stay up all night at this great bar called the Times Change High Lonesome Club in Winnipeg and and uh, drive to the border. Stop. Don't declare anything. But, of course, they pull us in, search the van for hours. They put us in these de- detention cells where we're locked in, <clears throat> um, just giving us a really hard time. Uh, there's a 19-year-old kid with us selling merch, and they they bring him out first. It was just, and we're all sitting there watching him, like, no, you know, don't don't crack, buddy. <laughs> and they literally are telling him, like, you're going to jail, you're going to federal prison. You know that, right? You you, you got to tell us. He's not ratting on your buddies. You got to tell us what you got. And he's like, I I don't think we have anything, you know. And finally, like three hours go by, and they they let us out, and we're all standing around. And, they're still searching the van and the one of the border agents pulls out they find an orange like underneath all the clothes and they're in the back seat of this van and they find one of these small like those mandarin oranges that i think we had picked up at a holiday inn in seattle three weeks earlier and, and just been lost in the van and she holds it up and she goes do you know what this is and uh my drummer we'd been there for three hours and we're starving and i think he thought they were going to feed us and he got real excited <laughs> for a minute <laughs> and uh she goes five hundred dollars you know five hundred five hundred dollars what she's for uh you, you're trying to smuggle citrus across the u.s canadian border and i said you serious it's this one like tiny inch <laughs> long orange <laughs> that had come from america and, and was now going back to America. Um, anyway, it was just funny that the uh, they threatened a lot more stuff. And I thought, you know, I, was, I just read that Keith Richards autobiography. And uh, I was thinking of, of all the stuff I've done in my life. And the, the my only run-in with the law is trying to smuggle a piece of fruit across the <laughs> Canadian border. I was like, how rock and roll is that? <laughs> I've been stopped at the border three times and put in one of those cells. Yeah. And uh, you know me, I'm square. I don't do anything. And uh, there's this one time, I was strip searched twice. And really? uh, a third time, they let me keep my underwear on. And I remember the first time, there was this Lou Gossett Jr. looking guy who was tough and a drill sergeant. And he had me convinced that I'd just been on an eight state killing spree or something. Right. And uh, But then they just let me go. And uh, they wouldn't let me into the country the first time, sent me back around. But they don't mess around. Yeah, they're intense. I, and I don't, I just, that it's a, it's a weird psychological thing where you do feel like you've done something even when you haven't. Maybe it's just like inherent guilt that I carry around with me. But, uh, but yeah, they can have you feeling like you've done something really wrong. You've got to stand strong. I went through most of my life I always said, you know, I was a guy, you could drop me off in some village in China with nothing, and I would find my way home, and I would have a good time doing it, you know. And it was just kind of, I, I just always had confidence I was going to be all right and, and could take care of myself. And I don't know, probably been a while now, maybe six, seven years ago, I went through this this phase, and it was sort of, I think it was a combination of, uh, you know, life stress and, and pressure from getting a, a record deal and, and feeling like I needed to do something special and then and drugs. Um, but I I started getting, I started having massive anxiety attacks, you know, just crippling, think you're going to die <clears throat> type of attacks. 
And like once that happens, once you know that you're capable of that happening, then your whole world changes because it's all of a sudden like the world goes from a beautiful place to a really scary, terrifying place. And then you realize, what do I do every night? I'm, I make a living going to strange places, walking onto a stage underneath a bunch of lights and performing for strangers um, who are judging me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and uh, anyway, I just got, I got, I, it, it just this thing that developed and, and became crippling, I mean, really debilitating. How would they manifest themselves, these attacks? Well, it was, uh, you know, a lot of times it was just light-induced um, or not having an exit strategy, you know? Like, I didn't, I stopped socializing because... I'd go to a bar and you get surrounded by people and, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my, I got to get out of here. Like now, I'm, and, or sometimes with an autograph line after the show, you go out and I'd look up and I'd see 40 people waiting and I'd go, I can't, I'm not going to be able to make it through this. And, and uh, so for me, it was just, just this feeling that you start losing feeling in your hands and the light gets really bright, you get headaches, and then all of a sudden your body just starts shutting down, you can't breathe. And it's just this terrifying thing that's really hard to have any control over and it just yeah just really affected my life in a in a bad way and put me in a dark place because i more than anything i just went from a guy who could who could heck was in control to a person who was not the the idea walking at the hotel from my room to the vending machine to get a soda and come back was like climbing the alps or something it was it was uh it was a journey and, and, and that's no way to go through life. And that's when it really hit me that, you know, how debilitating <clears throat> that can be. And, you know, the depression that comes with that and, and all that stuff. It's to feel like you can't live life is not, not a good feeling. And uh, so I, you know, I, I, for the most part, gotten past it. Um, but it was a, a dark time there. And what's interesting is, you know, since I, started feeling okay telling people about it um like everyone i meet has a similar issue not everyone but but it's surprising to me how many people and you just sit there going yeah and this and this and you you're going through the exact same thing but you feel so alone when it's when it's happening um i don't have anything that severe but i have i've developed personal space issues yeah like on uh sometimes when the stage is just too small and everybody's right on top of you and you can't find the, the way out if the mm-hmm. place catches on fire. Yeah. It's, I'm surprised how many people suffer from at least some form of that. Yeah, there was, I mean, I'm, I met so many folks, like I said, at one point, I, like my band was, you know, I think two-thirds of us were, we're all you know, sitting in corners by ourselves, just nodding our heads, going, "It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay." Where's my pills? You know, <laughs> which is, uh, yeah, it's weird stuff. That the brain's an incredibly powerful thing, and and that sort of psychosomatic effect that that things can have. I, I had a an issue many years before that that I'd forgotten about, but. Um, where I thought I had uh, brain disease, whatever that is. I didn't even know what to say. Just, um, but uh, uh, a friend had told me I'd, just, I'd been in the gym or something. I was working out. I went back to my car, and he, uh, he was saying goodbye to me. And I reached out for my car door to close it, 
and I missed. And I thought, well, that's weird. You know, my body was kind of out of it from the workout or whatever. And and I, and he he said, what happened? And I told him. And he says, well, he was like a first year bi- biology major, so which of course made him qualified to diagnose this one <laughs> instance and tell me that I probably had brain cancer or whatever. And he, but he said something uh, along the lines of, well, you should you know keep an eye on that. I go, yeah, okay, whatever. And but then these things started manifesting themselves, like these physical symptoms, to where all of a sudden I was like, my body was shutting down. And over a course of a month, I went from fully functional human being to laying in a ball, uh, not being able to talk, writing my last will and testament at 20 years old. And, and I literally couldn't move. It, it was, I, I, I couldn't talk. And so I went, I went to the hospital. They ran all these tests on me. And the guy, come, the doctor comes out and says, okay, well, three things. Either you have uh, inner ear disease, you have brain a brain disease, or it's psychosomatic, and you're imagining it, or you're, you're making it manifest itself on yourself. And uh, and he said, and the good news is you don't have inner ear disease, <laughs> 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 which is some equilibrium thing. I said, well, so you're saying that I have brain disease because this shit is real. Like, look at me. I'm I'm like I can't put macaroni and cheese in my mouth without it falling out. I can't talk. I can't, you know, this is not like something I'm making up. And uh, so I just assumed that, that that diagnosis was that I had brain disease because the other one was not an option, that it could not be uh, self-induced. And, and, and went home for a week, told my friends I was dying, that I was probably going to, I maybe had a month, who knew, you know. <laughs> I, I still didn't know. I still didn't know what brain disease was. I just knew that I had it and that I was going to die. And uh, and I went back finally, and they gave me my test and said, "Well, you don't have brain disease. You're fine. You have low blood pressure, but uh, low blood sugar." But uh, and I said, "Well, that, that's some, you know, it's all impossible." But I'm glad to hear it. And I went. And about a week later, I started feeling better. And um, within a month, I was completely fine. And and. Uh, but it's just it's amazing the, the the power that the mind has and what you know somebody plants a seed and it can it can manifest in any number of ways and you got to be careful what you let in and you got to make sure you take care of of how you of yourself and how you see things and uh, <clears throat> so I've been I've been doing a lot more work on meditation and, and trying to trying to be at peace and. I have a better understanding of what I'm feeling and thinking. And it's not easy. It's not easy to, to do and be still and be in that place. But, uh, I'm working on it. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Hayes for coming over to my living room here in East Nashville. You can find out everything you need to know about Hayes at HayesCarl.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to OtisGibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books, but anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. 
Subscribe while you're there, and you'll get a brand new episode free every Wednesday. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.